<laughs> I know. It's pretty amazing. Um, awesome. So welcome, everybody. I'm going to share the screen and um, give me a thumbs up, please, if you can see the screen. So here we are. It's week four. Week four of our pandemic uh, uh, virus and isolation and quarantine. This is our fourth week of our Wednesday 2 p.m. chats. It is so fun to connect with everybody and see you guys and see the animals and see the kids and see the smiling. Um, our first week, we had sort of a general hello and we talked about best practices for staying focused during this time. During our second week, we talked about self-taping for both live action and um, voiceover. And then our third week, last week, we had my very good friend, Douglas Gorenstein, um, headshot photographer, talk to us about headshots. And today we have such an exciting presentation because it's the million dollar question about agents and managers. Um, before we begin our chat with um, our, our guest, Karen Lampiasi, I am saying your Italian last name correct. You Lampiasi. are indeed. I am going to do like it looks like. Lampiasi, I am going to do my quick um, weekly presentation that is always new and um, changing. So I am Jen Rudin. Uh, most of you know some of my credits or I've had your kids in for auditions. I have been a casting director for 20 years. I'm going to ask everybody to keep muting themselves. Mute, mute, mute. Uh, 20 years is a long time. I've seen it all. I am the author of uh, a book called Confessions of a Casting Director um, that HarperCollins published. It is chock full of information, including a chapter called Agents and Managers 101, <laughs> which is our topic today. Um, in addition, I recently turned the book or took the title of the book and uh, launched my podcast, Confessions of a Casting Director. And what I've been doing with these weekly chats is that if you can't make the chat, I turn it into next week's podcast episode. So there's about 14 episodes already. Um, some of them are interviews with actors. Danny Burstein was a guest on the podcast. Um, Maddie Corman, my own mother, Marsha Rudin, who was a stage mom in the 80s. We talk about self-taping. There's all kinds of fun stuff in there. So check out the podcast wherever you get your podcast um, fix. Okay, so I always like to include a few fun memes or memes, whatever, however you pronounce it. As the weeks go on, uh, Allison Sass, thank you, you sent me this one. Day 35 of the quarantine, can you blink a little more quietly, please? <laughs> this one makes me laugh because we're all with our families all the time, and as much as we love our families, it's also been like, could you put the dishes in the dishwasher differently? So that one made me laugh. Of course, this one's been floating around for those uh, of us from the Brady Bunch years. Um, Alice, turn your video on. No, it's it's the button on the bottom, not that one. Over to your left. Jan, you're on mute. Unmute yourself. So, of course, every time we're on a Zoom, it looks like the Brady Bunch, which uh, is, of course, my favorite show from childhood. And then I love this one because, you know, it's John Cusack and Say Anything. Gen X, that's my generation expressing love from a responsible distance since 1980. Um, so, in the past three weeks, I have taught a bunch of really super fun Zoom classes. There are a lot of people who have already taken some of them who are on this call today. I like to share pictures so everybody can see the kids. Um, over here, this was our animation class on Saturday. Uh, the animation classes have really sold out, so I keep adding them. We discussed The Princess and the Frog versus um, Gravity Falls, a TV animated show. And um, 
Next week, we're discussing, we're going to watch The Incredibles. I'm always going to be doing a, an animated feature film that I cast, and then a TV animation one. And then the kids get to do a bunch of different voiceover copy, and it's really fun. Uh, we've also got classes in TV acting analysis, which I've really enjoyed. The older kids have watched Stranger Things, Riverdale, Gossip Girl, The Fosters, and analyzed, Karen, the TV acting of these teens. It's so inspiring. It's such a great way to watch television and also learn from the young actors on TV. The younger kids have done some Disney Channel stuff. They've done Bunked. They've done that. So Raven, Raven's Home. And this past week, we did um, uh, Diary of a Future President on Disney+. Plus. So um, I want to give a shout out to Audrey Knowles, who did this beautiful sketch during our monologue class, which is still my screensaver. I'm just so thrilled, Audrey, with my purple glasses and um, love this artwork. And then we have more online classes coming up for April. Uh, we're sold out for animation on Saturday, but we have another one for Saturday, April 18th. Please mute everybody if you're just joining. Um, we are continuing the TV acting analysis classes where I send questions out in advance. This coming week, we are going to be looking at 13 reasons why, only if parents approve that. Um, and all the classes are available on Netflix or Disney Plus. And then finally, this monologue marathon class, which has been going really well. You can start a new monologue or polish off another one and monologues are still happening and very much necessary, especially now when so many casting offices are doing digital, online, virtual open calls. Many are asking for monologues. So um, that's been fun. And I wanna hear from you. What topics should we talk about in the next few weeks as we continue? You can email jenrudencasting at gmail.com and let me know. Uh, and here you go. Feel free to book a session. Feel free to listen to the podcast. Um, thank you, Douglas Gorenstein for my headshots, which are on the book cover and these new ones. And finally, without further ado, I thought we would talk about the million dollar question about agents and managers. I've invited my friend and colleague, Karen Lampiasi to be our guest today. So Karen and I are going to engage in a conversation. Um, I've got her bio here, which I can send to all of you, and she can also tell you about it. Um, I would ask if you guys have, have questions that you send me a chat. It can be private or public and I can have Karen address them, but I do want Karen to tell us a little bit about um, her life story, how she became a manager, and um, I have stopped sharing my screen and we can um, have Karen join us. So Karen. Hi there. Welcome. What? Uh, tell, tell us about yourself. <laughs> Boy, that feels like, you know, you're going to an agent meeting. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, so I, was, I started as a music major at Vassar College, um, where after I graduated, I started working in the music industry. And I guess I was drawn to the music industry because my sister was a recording artist kind of simultaneously with me being in college. Uh, my sister is Debbie Gibson. and she Debbie Gibson. <laughs> really? <laughs> those, the kids don't know who that is, but maybe the parents do. Um, you know, but she was, which I guess is kind of relevant. She was eight, the first, really, of the big teen pop stars, you know, of that generation. And so I'm the older sister, she's five years younger. So I kind of had the opportunity to watch that whole thing unfold. And fortunately for everybody, I never wanted to be on stage. So <laughs> there was no competition between us. Um, but after I graduated college, I started working in the music industry and music publishing. And then I did A&R at Atlantic Records which actually eventually she got signed to Atlantic Records. It wasn't actually related. Um, but then after a couple of years, I started working in music management where we managed Deborah and we also managed a bunch of other up and coming recording artists through the years. 
And then at some point, I took a break <laughs> from the music industry. I have four kids, kind of got them all going. And then, of course, as things happen genetically, my kids all started to want to be in the entertainment industry. <laughs> so, um, you know, they were all doing what you guys are doing. They did community theater. They, they did their school plays. They started doing some commercial auditions. They started, you know, doing, doing, the, whole, doing the whole thing that we all do. And I have to say, as a parent back then, I was probably as unknowledgeable about that side of the entertainment industry as anybody is when they kind of start working with their child. Um, because while I knew the music business, I hadn't really done that film, TV, theater, commercial route. And I made probably all the same stumbling blocks and mistakes that everybody kind of makes along the way. Um, and then my youngest son, who was the youngest of four and a bit of the anything my older siblings can do, I can do better figured, how hard can this be? They're all going on auditions. He was seven. How hard could this possibly be? And he decided to go on his first audition, which was for the national tour of Billy Elliot. And he booked it <laughs> after like on his very first audition, basically. Nicholas, uh, right? Yeah, Nicholas. So yeah. He, booked, he booked Billy Elliot when he was seven and he went on the road for a year and we traveled. So we did that whole tour thing. You know, we traveled. And during that time, a lot of parents were saying, are you ever going to go back into management? Because they knew I had done management, but on the music side, and they had thought I would, you know, they wanted me to work with their kids or whatever, but I really had my hands. If any of you have kids who are active doing this, you know what a full-time job being a parent of a working child or even just a child who's auditioning. It's a real full-time job. Um, so when he came back from Bill Yellett, he did, you know, whatever commercials and whatnot. And then he eventually booked Newsies on Broadway, which he did for another year. Um, after that, he retired, as we like to lovingly say. He, he, quote, retired at the age of about 12. And that's when I decided, okay, now that he's done, I can start managing. And it was with a real understanding and I guess respect for what all the parents go through, <laughs> all of that waiting for the phone to ring, waiting to find out if you booked it, waiting for the, I'm on hold, I'm, I'm pinned, um, what does this mean? How long were they in the room? You know, you're, all of these, these machinations that you do as a parent trying to figure out, you know, what's so, happening. Karen, let me just throw this question at you. What is the difference between a talent agent and a manager? I feel like there's people, people have so different um, understandings of what they do and how they work together. And of course, do you need one? Do you need both? So tell us what a talent agent does and tell us what a manager does. Well, I'll start, I guess, from the manager's perspective. I like to think of the manager, whether there is an agent involved or not, we're kind of the, the quarterback and, and captain of the football team, so to speak. You know, we're the person who is really trying to have a bird's eye view of not just the, the small things like the specific audition you might get or not get, but kind of the big picture for what goals do you have for your child? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? And how do we get you from where you are to that goal, whatever that goal might be. And that goal might be different for different people. It might be theater, it might be Broadway, it might be film, TV, you know, whatever it is. Um, so I try to look at what do we need, what pieces do we need to do to put it in place? So there's everything from the developmental aspect of it, which is connecting you with the right coaches and the right teachers and the right headshot photographer and the right, you know, self-taping coaches and all of these things and putting together your profiles and helping select the photos and 
all of that, you know, self-tape clips, we can go into all of these things. And our rosters tend to be smaller and the relationship tends to be more personal, you know? So my phone will ring at, you know, 10 o'clock on a Saturday night with a parent who has a question about something or concern about something, you know, needing to check in about whatever it is. So it's that kind of like seven day a week, you know, very personal relationship that we have with our clients. And I like to, you know, the agents, some agents can function like that, but a lot of agencies are bigger and they have larger rosters and their primary focus is submitting you, booking you and negotiating your contracts and mm -hmm. collecting your money. And, you know, and, and there's that. So there's less time for them to do the developmental work that needs to happen because their rosters are bigger and their days are full with a different type of piece of the business, you know, whereas I also do submissions and I also do those things, but because I'm working on a smaller scale, mm -hmm. I have more time. How many clients do you represent? Well, you know, I have some that are freelance and some that are exclusive. So it's kind of like a combination of both. In terms of kids, I represent about 50 kids. Wow, 50 kids. That's a yeah. lot. How do yeah. you, how do across, you? Yeah, across the, and, and you know, and I have, most of them are in New York, but some of them are in other places, you know, and we uh, do a lot of self-tapes. And if they're film and TV kids, we do the self-tapes. If they're theater kids, all of the theater people We'll have them, you know, do the first have round. Well, I think, um, I think wait, somebody has to be on mute. Somebody just <laughs> about their child. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and mute this person. So hold on one second. One sec. Um, that's very funny. Okay. Let mute, mute, mute. Where are we? I think mute everybody, maybe. If you did yeah, everybody. I don't. Um, Mute. Uh, I think this is Noe Passy. Is that what it is? I think somebody yeah. is mute. Yeah. A couple people. You can do her too if you can put her on mute. Okay. I think we're in a better. No, I can't. I okay. Can't. So back to um. So you have fifty clients, and of those fifty clients, yeah. how many have agents, and how many just have managers, and oh. does it matter in terms of getting auditions? I would say we're probably 50-50 with people who have agents and people who don't have agents. And the, the, the way I really look at it is, let's start with commercial. For commercial work, for commercials and voiceovers, I really strongly feel like it's beneficial to have an agent. And it's kind of the piece we really need to work on putting in place because of the way the commercial auditions are disseminated. They're not sent out via breakdowns the way film, TV, and theater are. So you know, while some are on casting networks and some are on breakdowns. I usually just call, if I get a commercial, I call five agents and give them the breakdown. And then I assume that they're going to disseminate that to the managers, clear the kids, get everybody in. Exactly. And that's, and so a lot of times people are like, well, which agent is the best agent and who get, who? I'm like, not every agent gets every audition. You may call five particular people, you know, have kind of the kind of people you're looking for and you do it that way. Other people may send it out to 10 different people and it may be a different 10 than your five, you know? So like when, when people are sometimes like, well, why did that person get the audition and I didn't get the audition? It's like, it may not have even gone to them, you know, just in that particular go round. But the commercial side, I feel like we really, really benefit from having agents in place. When it comes to film and TV and theater, I view it as like a developmental process. So I really get very involved at that level with the submissions until I feel like, they're at a point where an agent is going to be able to successfully start submitting and getting them. 
work and that may take time. And that doesn't mean I'm not submitting them in the meantime, but it may be that I'm really micromanaging what's going on and selecting the types of roles that maybe are right for where they are at that moment, you know what right. I mean? And, and not just, sometimes I feel like agents have so many kids that it's just like they're throwing spaghetti on the wall and like hoping one of them will book it. And I always felt like a manager should just be thinking specifically about their clients and the development of them. And also if there's like a breakdown for a 12 year old redhead girl that maybe there's one on your roster instead of like 10 or 15 at an agency. Right. And the other, the other thing that I think um, happens a lot for me is that I tend to, to slow down maybe more than the agents do when I do the breakdowns because, for example, let's say the breakdown calls for an 11-year-old boy, but it's a co-star role that the age is not really relevant to the plot. I may say, you know what, I have a really great 8-year-old boy or 9-year-old boy that this, which by the way, I just booked on Bull, which is exactly the scenario who one of my clients just did this week's episode of Bull, it was originally written as 11, but he's nine. He does not look 11, but he was playing a child on a train with his mom. Like it didn't matter what age. Whereas I feel like sometimes the agents can get a little bit like we're going to put the age range search field in and, and pull people mm -hmm. by that because they have a lot of clients and they have to you know, kind of like move through things more quickly. But I may say, huh, you know what? Now, like, they are actually right for this because age is not relevant. Now, would I submit a nine-year-old for 13, the musical? No, because that is relevant. That's <laughs> right. Age. That's right. That's, now, that's of, thing. of the 50 kids that you represent, do you have kids that are the same type? Or do you sort of look at your roster and go, okay, I need some Asian, I need like an Asian American. I need a, are you looking at diversity in your I, roster? And also, I, do you have two redhead girls that are the same? No, actually, <laughs> I only have one, but you know, but it does get harder because, you know, at some point, like, you know, in that like nine to 12 year old range, you know, a lot of kids are brunettes or, you know, whatever. So like, it's to me though, type goes beyond just the physical type. And this is what I try to explain to parents too, when they're like, why didn't we get called in for that? I'm like, it's not just like every 10 year old child with brown hair is really the same or right for every role. If they're looking for you know, like um, a bully type kid and your child is no matter what they do is going to read as, as sweet as, you know, sugar. I, it's probably not this, you know, it's not going to be the same. So it's like, it's not always just physical type because it really goes beyond that for me anyway, you know. And how do you, um, do you freelance with clients or are clients signed to a contract? I know there's so many different opinions about it, you know, like I had a manager when I was a child, Jean Fox, and like mm -hmm. I was signed to her and then I freelanced with a bunch of different talent agents. But again, this was the 1980s. So many, right. many, many decades ago. How does it work these days? You know, it's, it's kind of a combination of both. I have, um, I would say the majority of my clients are signed to exclusive contracts, but I do have some that I freelance with if, and, and there's really no like negative for it per se. It's just that maybe they're not local, you know, or I want to, I want to have access to them to submit on particular projects, but I know I'm not going to be able to do that much for them right now. Uh, Torski, can you mute yourself? Torski, Jonathan's mom. There we go. Um, He's going to help her. Yeah. So I, I tried it to, to focus you know, when it comes to like contracts type stuff on people that I feel like 
or here, or I'm going to be able to do a lot with for them right now because I never want to feel like I'm holding somebody back for another opportunity that they could have if they happen to get a great local rep, you know, rep or some or something. But that being said, I really don't believe contracts are meant to lock people in mm-hmm. as much as it is to explain the relationship. And if at some point things are not working, I also don't think you should be locking children into contracts, you know, for right. Example. You know, for extended periods of time, you know. But you want to make sure that you're getting the commission. If you book a client on the job, you want to make sure that you're getting that commission. That's, and that's what I try to explain to people. I'm like, the only thing I, I, first of all, first of all, I always say, this is nothing I would not sign for my own child. Like I never give anything to anybody to do or sign that I, as a parent, would not have felt comfortable doing myself. So that's kind of like my gut, you know, barometer, if you will. But I feel like the most important part of the contract is just to be able to have the conversation about this is how it works. If your child books a series regular on a show that goes for 10 years, the commission is attached to whoever represented you when you booked it, not like, oh, well, I could book it and then break my contract and now I'm done and I can leave and I don't have to pay commission or whatever. It's honestly just to, ex- to be able to explain to them that this is, you know, it's the same for the agents. It works the same, you That's know? Right. So um, it's nothing, you know, it's nothing uncommon, but I think a lot of people don't understand that or when it comes to renewals or subsequent things tied to that project. And I think also, like I always say, like agents and managers, uh, work on commissions. So, you know, you, you know, you can take on a client, but until they actually book something, you know, they're, it's different in casting. We're paid, you know, God willing, right. we're paid per, per project. And it's something I think all parents need to remember too, with your ages of managers is like, they, they're like your kids, they're representing your kids. They're there to do their job. And also like, they're not, you know, they're, they're, they'll make money when you book a job. And so just to try to respect that when it comes to boundaries, what do you wish, since you came from being a parent of young actors, what do you wish, Karen, that you knew before you started? And what wisdom can you share with, um, with young actors uh, and, and parents uh, as they join this you know, really exciting business of show business, but also a business that doesn't function like soccer or gymnastics? I think the biggest thing, um, and, and I and my clients and people who know me know I say this like a thousand times, is like don't be sad about the opportunities opportunities you don't get because sometimes they are leaving you open for the opportunities you're meant to get. And so everybody has their own path. So the biggest thing is you have to be supportive of your fellow actors, parents. I encourage you to set a tone of like your child supporting their friends who are doing this, to not be jealous when they're, it's hard, but like to not be jealous when somebody else books something. For you as a parent, not to kind of feel, you know, like I see a lot of manipulation sometimes and some like little passive aggressive, like helpful tips, but that are really muddying the water or tainting, you know, different relationships is to really go into it with as pure of a heart as you can and know that like, good things out and good things will come back. And somebody else booking something did not take it from your child. It was theirs to have. It wasn't 
your child's to have. That yeah, that's a, it's a really nice sort of spiritual way to view it. You know, I always found that when I was competing against other child actors, the ones who were really my friends were the ones I was really happy for. But how do you, I mean, it's mitigating jealousy and, and competition. And I really think, Karen, because of the internet, because of the access to breakdowns, I just feel like parents can really get a lot of misinformation, bad information, wrong information. And back in the 80s when I was doing it, they're just, you just, you just, the answering machine, you know, had, you had a message from your manager about an audition and that was kind of it. So what, what's your advice for sort of the, um, the, the internet of it all and the seeing breakdowns and freaking yeah. out about stuff? How do you, how, how do you manage stay that? The, stay off the crazy parent boards where everybody's like micromanaging, like, and this and that, but, but because honestly, like it, the amount of calls I get, well, my, my son's friend has mm -hmm. an audition for such and such. Why don't I have the, and it's like, do you think we're not submitting them? Right. Like we don't work, we don't get paid unless your child works. So it's in all your agent's interest, my interest, everybody's interest. But the thing to remember is we don't control who casting actually wants to see. So at some point we can submit, but then casting, and Jen could talk lots about this, I'm sure at some point, casting knows a lot of these kids. They've seen them a million times and they also have a sense of who's going to be right for it. This is not a talent judgment. This is not this child is talented. This child is not talented. It's are they a good fit for what we're envisioning for this particular project? And, and I do think, Karen, also that, you know, as casting directors, you know, you're building relationships with us, right? Actors and casting directors are building relationships. I was just teaching, uh, I was a guest this morning at USC to some of the undergrad actors. And I said, you know, your first year out of school or your first year in the business is about building these relationships and, and, and gaining fans and getting the casting directors to know your child. And once we've met them, even if they came in and they weren't right for one role, if they did a good job, job, I guarantee I'm going to call Karen and I want, I'm going to want to see them again for a different role. So and, there's always yeah. going to be new roles. There's always going to be more auditions. And I think that's something to really just keep in mind, like the, the big picture, the marathon, right? It's not just this one particular role. It's the relationship with the casting office that's really important. I have known, there are actors, I feel like an aunt, there are actors I have known who are now in college or the kids I put in Mary Poppins on Broadway who are now out of college that I met when they were 10. And it's this long, long relationship um, that I have and you know the time is very precious so what is your um I know someone's going to want to ask about braces so I just feel like let's just talk about it for a minute we won't spend too much time on orthodonture but what's the deal Karen what do you advise people these days you know look <laughs> I, I, there's no there's no miracle answer to this the, <laughs> if the kids need braces they're just gonna have to get braces right you know if they can do the you know Invisalign great do that if they can tolerate the braces behind the teeth. All right, do that. But like, you know what, you're just going to, and if they don't and they can't, you just have to do it and get through it. And it might mean less opportunities in some areas, but it may not impact others. It may not impact voiceover or animation or even some commercials for that matter, which want like natural, real looking kids. Are you going to maybe book the glamour role on the CW? Probably not, but maybe you get the quirky kid, <laughs> you know? So there's a place for all of those things, but you certainly can't stop your life. You can't ruin your kid's teeth. <laughs> you have right. to just, you know, it's part of growing up. Manage that time. You know, it's the same thing with losing teeth. Like, don't, 
you know, sweat it. We all know suddenly there's this moment where suddenly the kid looks like they have zero teeth. We all know <laughs> they're going to grow back. <laughs> it's so nice. You know, I think, Karen, what's so lovely is that you're speaking as a mother who's, you know, a mother and also a manager. Um, I had, you know, this question is, uh, is interesting because back in the olden days, and you'll remember this too, my manager used to call the casting director to get feedback, right? And I feel like there's so many self-tapes that people are doing and there's so many auditions that people are doing and everybody wants some feedback, right? And so do you still call casting directors? I can speak as a caster, you know, and, and ask for feedback. Like what's, what do you say to a parent when they're like, well, we didn't hear anything, you know, can so you get so, feedback? So here's <laughs> the deal. I, I would say most of the time, no, because if it's that initial stage and they're, they're viewing 500 tapes or whatever millions of things they're viewing, honestly, they're not taking like, I mean, Jen, you could tell. I mean, if somebody's not right, they're not taking copious notes about why they're not right, right? Like if they're, they're not giving you an acting critique, you know, and then you can call a week later and get your acting critique. It's, but if you're down to the final three or the mm -hmm. final four and it didn't go your way, then that's a conversation. And usually, to be honest, the feedback is usually we went a different way. Like the, the director, the producer, somebody responded more to somebody on a gut level. I mean, at that point, they all could have booked it. They That's probably right. could go one, two, three, four, pick them out of a hat and any one of them could have booked it. But at some point you're going with, it could be the size, it could be the type, it could be just the tone of their singing voice or speaking voice. I mean, it could be literally anything and nothing that you can control. So there's really no feedback usually that's going to dramatically change what you're doing. Now, if there was a problem in the room, if like, if we were getting the sense that there was like an issue, well, then maybe I'd want to know. But like a lot of times that's why I sit on sit in on these kind of like classes or workshops because it gives me a, a chance to watch my clients do things. Yeah. And I pick up on things that are happening that I'm like, oh, okay, like we, we may need to work on that. And I know so that. So I would say I totally have stopped a casting session if, if it's voiceover or something. I have picked up the phone and called an agent or a manager when there was a serious behavior issue, or I can spot some reading challenges. Um, and I will do this for young actors. Um, for grown-up actors, I have made a few phone calls where I've said, they seemed really, the energy was very strange in the room, um, and they weren't taking our direction. And I had a, a an agent who reps, you know, adult actors say, you know what, she, she literally had started some medication for her, you know, some new health condition, and it was, she was having these crazy side effects. Well, that was really helpful for me to know why it, we were having a, 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 you know, a challenging moment in the audition room. For kids, um, I'm always happy to give some feedback sort of like later on, like call me two weeks after we're done casting maybe, um, because there just isn't time. But I do think that that's a question I think a lot of parents have, which is, you know, we send in these tapes, we send in these tapes, why don't we ever hear anything? So how do you combat those phone calls? What is, you know, what are the best practices for that feeling of like, you know, we're spending all this time investing and doing these self-tapes and we don't hear anything? Well, look, at the end of the day, I feel like I give a lot of feedback to my clients when they send me the tapes. So Great. I'm hoping that that, you know, because there are times that people have sent me tapes that I'm like, I have goosebumps. Like this was phenomenal. And I will say flat out to them, I have no idea if this is what they're looking for, but this was phenomenal. Like this was amazing. So you're going to impress them. You know, I don't know if you're going to look, sound, or vibe out the way they think this character is, but great work, like really, really strong work. And that's all you can do. I mean, honestly, 
that is all that is in your control is to do good work and impress them, like Jen said, because you might not be right for this, but if you impress them enough times, when a director is saying, all right, like who should we bring, or the people are saying, who should we bring in? You're going to pop to the top of that casting director's mind. As, like, you totally. Know, really amazing. Yeah. They do such great work all the time. I haven't found the right place for them. And I'm sure you have people that you just want to find something for because they are so talented and you've yet to kind of like connect them to the right role. But those, that's what you need to be happening in the room every single time with every casting director. You need them to fall in love with you, forget about the role, go in, do your work like it's a performance, do your tape like you're doing a movie, and then just kind of forget about it. And I know it's hard, but honestly, think about the amount of competition that's out there sending these tapes in. If you could just do good work, eventually the things will happen. I think that's such a great positive way to look at it. And also actors just want to act, as my friend Jason Kravitz says. They just want to act. So every audition should be an opportunity to to get a chance to to show your craft and walk in and do a do a great job and then go out and call call your mother and you know get on with your day, I always say. Um, and then in terms of the rejection, you know, as somebody once said to me, rejection is God's protection, which I thought was very interesting because it just meant like, okay, I guess whatever's meant to be is meant to be, and we'll just see how it all goes. But I think the rejection for me was certainly the hardest. So how have you, um, and I, I don't want to stay in the negative because we have a lot of like really good practical questions coming in, but you know, how do you, how do you tell them, you know, it was down to the two of you and it's not, you're it, not going to go to Broadway. How do you, you know, can I tell you guys, it is heartbreaking. I mean, look, there's, there is no way to sugarcoat how hard it is. It's probably hurts you more than your child in a lot of cases for the parents that are out there. Your heart probably breaks for them and they probably bounce back from it faster than you do in a lot of regards. And I remember that crazy pit in, you know, in the bottom of your stomach kind of thing. But you have to just keep, to, I feel like a couple of things when it comes to working with your kids. Number one, make sure they really love what they're doing and just try to make sure that they're always kind of, look, nobody's gonna enjoy it 100% of the time, but make sure for the most part that they're enjoying it. Don't push them past the point where this is becoming a stressor for them in a really negative and and kind of mental health and health impacting way. Um, But you have to just help them try to put the rejection into context. An analogy I always tend to use, especially with younger kids, is I'm like, okay, you went on a commercial audition, they saw a lot of people, maybe you were down to the final few, you didn't get it, but it's like if you went into the ice cream store and there's all these de- delicious flavors of ice cream and today you have to choose what flavor you wanna have. And today you pick strawberry. That doesn't mean chocolate's not good or vanilla's not good or the mint chocolate. It's just today it was a strawberry day and you weren't strawberry. <laughs> I love, that is that is so, that is such a nice way to view it. You know, I'm a stepmom, not a mom. So it's yeah. like, I don't, I don't, can't even think of those terms, but I think that's wonderful. I do want to get to some of our questions. You know, how important is it for a manager? Uh, how important is a manager for a six-year-old or somebody who's just starting out, you know, who's, you know, what is there to manage when you okay. think about that? <laughs> Okay, so I love I love this because I literally sometimes my head wants to come off on some of the Facebook groups when I'm on them when they're like, oh no, but you don't need a manager until you've got a lot to manage. And I'm thinking, do they think we're their personal assistant or something that we're sitting there going like we're George Clooney's manager and we have a staff and we're we're booking their flights and we're arranging their press. I'm like, I'm not quite sure when people say that what they actually think a manager does. So just to clarify, yes, there's a lot of different types of managers out there in the world. There's, there's A-list managers and music industry managers definitely are much more like 
we run the whole business right. from like booking hotels to, you know, whatever. So um, that's different. Managers for actors and kids, I feel like the most critical time <laughs> that you need a manager is when things are not happening because they are the people who want to step in and, and probably will work for two years without getting paid <laughs> in many cases, but to try to help you move forward, you know, and, and could there be times down the road where you feel like maybe you don't need your manager anymore, but I urge you to think about the fact that like your manager has your back and they are that person that is overseeing everything and kind of backstopping everything. And, and there were definitely times, you know, even with some of my clients who have great agents, great, great agents where I'm getting them the auditions or I'm getting them that offer because I looked at the breakdown different, or I looked at, you know, I had a different relationship with casting and I made a really impassioned plea because I knew that client a little bit better or a little more intimately than the agent knew them and knew how to explain why you really needed to see this kid for this thing. Like, I know on face value, maybe not, but like, you really do need to, but I could speak more to it. You know what I mean? And that really is, that's important, you know, at some point. And it doesn't, it doesn't always work. It doesn't always make the difference, but it does some of the time. And I feel like for the amount of time it does, that's you huge. Have a team, you know, behind yeah. you. Yeah. No, that's and great. I and I urge loyalty. I mean, what to your current manager, to your current agent, unless something is really going wrong. And by wrong, I don't mean my friend has more auditions than me, because that uh, switching may not do anything in mm -hmm. that in that case. But like wrong, meaning maybe with your personal relationship with them, would they really are on a completely different page from like what you want to be doing with your child or something. But if everybody's working hard, I urge you not to agent hop or manager hop or whatever and put in the time and develop the longstanding relationships with people. Because I know for me, the clients that I've had for a very long time, I know them so well and they are like family and I would literally do anything for them, but I have that relationship. I mean, there's a, there's a, a depth of relationship that you don't get when people like whiz by and come in, you know, and and that takes time. That takes time to develop that trust that you're not going to just leave and, you know, I do all this work and somebody's going to break the contract in two seconds, you know, because that's what happens with managers and agents. We do a lot of work and people just decide the grass is greener somewhere else and then they jump. And that's a hard place to be in. I call it sort of, the, I call it that you like get seduced by, you know, the bigger agency. And I was telling the USC students today, it's like, just because it's a bigger agency, sometimes it's better to be a small, a, a big fish in a smaller yeah. pond than to go to a big agency where you're at the bottom of the call sheet. Um, let's see, if you're signed exclusively with an agent, how can a manager help you get more auditions? I think we sort of already yeah. talked about yeah, that because yeah, Karen can go it. into the breakdown. Um, my, my child is a fantastic agent. When's the right time to add a manager? We already talked about that. Um, and how do you start to look for an agent um, if you a manager if you already have an agent like I know you Karen probably place some of your clients with agencies and some of your clients come already with an agent so um, yeah, and, I get, and I get calls from agents who want their clients to add a manager and say will you meet with so-and-so like we're looking to add a manager and you know I mean there's a few times I feel like that the agents look for you know, that additional support, it may be that you're new to the business and they know that you're going to need a little more handholding and explanation and time. You know, they may really believe in your child, but maybe they feel like they need somebody who can really kind of, you know, do that piece of the puzzle. Or maybe you're from out of state, you know, or out of town, whether, you know, not in New York or LA, 
and yet they want another local person on the ground to kind of be that reality check and be giving, you know, be really making you understand what's going on and what needs to happen, what's industry standard, and just be that buffer. Because sometimes, you know, the agent might give me very blunt feedback, but then I relay it in a way that makes you understand where it's coming from, whereas they may only have time to say, yeah, that tape really wasn't great. They, they just need to redo it, you know? But that's not A, easy to hear, or B, necessarily helpful. <laughs> so like, you know, I try to then take that and be like, okay, you know, and then have a longer, more in-depth, you know, conversation about it perhaps. So, you know, when is the right time? You know, anytime you feel like you can use the extra support, both for yourself and your child to kind of help keep moving things forward. No, I think that's great. And also to, um, I, I know for a lot of the agents, they, they really need managers involved because there's so many appointments going out and they, they need everybody to be organized and confirmed and all of that. What are, um, what's your advice? We have a lot of people around the country, right? A lot of people sending in self-tapes who then need to show up and be a local hire in New York or LA. So how do you work with people who don't live in New York City or Los Angeles? And I, I always say, unless you have somebody who works for, the, for Delta or American, it's, it's, it's hard it's to hard. show up. You know, it is hard. And I have had clients with families who worked in the airlines, you know, who were able to hop on a plane, you know, at the drop of a hat. And that that works really well. But look, there's no sugarcoating that this is an expensive business to be in with your kids. It just is. But but as are most activities for our kids, you know, whether it's travel soccer or travel travel baseball or figure skating with, you know, or dance team where you're bedazzling, you know, costumes until, you know, two in the morning. These are anything your child pursues is obviously expensive. Um, but if you're going to do this from not being in the city or not being in LA, then you have to be really in a position where should the opportunities come up, you get like, Let's say your child book a, a book to national tour tomorrow. Are you in a position where you or your husband or a family member could travel with the child? What does that mean for the rest of your family? Do you have a job that you can do remotely? Do you, you know, so like a lot of the times when like we talk with people who are from out of town, we're really trying to figure out, yes, is the child talented, but B, is the family in a position to take advantage of an opportunity if they got it? Because the, totally. last, thing, the last thing we want is to do all of this. <laughs> and then we're like, hey, you booked the tour. And you're like, well, actually, like, we can't afford for me not to work. And I've got two younger kids. And what do I do? And, and now, uh, you know, my husband can't go and my mom can't go. And like, and suddenly, like, everybody's world explodes. And you feel terrible because, like, you feel like you're letting your child down. And there's all this stress and guilt. So it's like you need to know if those pieces are in place for you kind of before you embark upon that journey. The same thing, whether it's film and television, can you relocate to LA? Can you do three months on location in Canada? Can you pick up if you got a guest star role that was filming for eight days? Can you go and leave your kid? Like, do you have like enough support in your world to make Serious. It's such an important family conversation. When I started my book, it was originally for um, parents. It was called like parents, stage parents Bible, or I had all these horrible <laughs> titles for it. And I interviewed Karen, so many moms and dads who had been on tour with their kids about like the reality of what happens and how unglamorous it can be when you're traveling on Mondays oh and, and all that stuff. Is it okay if people say no to auditions for like a non-union tour of, you know, I won't even say what show, but like, is it okay? Okay if they say to you, no, you know what, we actually don't, we can't do that and we don't want to do that. 
yes, and I would rather you say no than audition and then tell me no once the casting director has fallen in love with that you. That is, that's really yeah, great. You know. I hope everybody hears yeah. that and we will put this in the podcast for next week. It is okay to say no. It's also okay, to Karen, to pass if the material is R-rated or about, you know, mature themes. Okay. We, we get a lot of this mail because there's so much, there's so much content for cable and like non-network TV. So it could be anything from, for example, like I had, um, you know, and it, it could just not only, it's not only that it's R-rated, there can be topics that are really dark and, and like, you know, scary things and horror things. And it's not always just like language or kind of like inappropriate R-rated stuff, but like there are some kids who can't handle, like they're going to play the victim or they're going to play the killer, or they're going to play, they're going to have to, whatever it is, you have to know your child and you have to know are they in a place psychologically to deal with the topics and the conversations? And you also have to know what the line is for you and your family of what you're comfortable with them being exposed to and not exposed to. You know, to some extent, you have to be a little bit open to being able to have some conversations with your kids about topics, maybe to make them understand the context, but you should never make them feel or feel like they have to do something they're not comfortable with. So you know, it's like, it's a tricky fine line. So the short answer is yes, it's okay to be like, we're just really not comfortable with the content. They're really just a little too young. I mean, you can have a 12 year old who's really worldly and a 12 year old who's just very young, like, you know, in terms of what they can handle and what they're even, you know, comfortable being exposed to. And you as the parent know that. And I think it's totally fine, you know, to say no to, to particular things. Yeah, and I also say I've had a lot of people pass on different things over the years, and I always respect it because I feel like the parents need to be looking at every single piece of material that comes in that email, right? Read the entire casting breakdown, ask for a script. If we can get you a script, we'll get you a script, not for animation, obviously, but also just like the content and being able to, so that nothing is shocking when you book the gig and suddenly there's yeah. blood or, you know, a gun or something like that, that yeah. it is okay. Um, so, you know, a lot of people, People, I, I want to talk about two sort of two things as we start to wind down. You know, a lot of people want to know like what should they be doing now in terms of being home quarantined? What are you telling your clients to do and work on? Yes. That's that's a yes. great question. And then also, um, yeah, that's a really good question. So really we're all here. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a great talk. Four weeks later, what should they be doing if there aren't that many auditions happening now? Oh, please use this time, like, you know, as, as productively as you can while still maintaining your mental and physical health and <laughs> mental health. You know? <laughs> but that being said, what for me, like if, if, if I was telling you what you should be doing, now is the time. If your child is doing film and television, really sit down and think what character, what, what roles do they typically play? What are their types? And be really specific, like really think, don't just, oh, they're the nice girl. Well, I don't know. Like try to be a little, try to come up with some really like specific types and think, what do I, if I was trying to sell that kid for that role, for that type, what do I need to have? Like if you were, you know, trying to sell a brand new, you know, food at a, at a supermarket, you wouldn't be like, it looks pretty, but I have no samples. I have nothing for you to taste or see. It just, here's a picture of the delicious looking food. You need to have clips, you know, acting clips that match your different types. As Jen was saying, she was having people watch Stranger Things and Riverdale. Find an actor that your child is similar to. I don't mean looks like, but like they play the kind of roles that your child could, in theory, play. 
figure out what projects they're in, go back and transcribe a minute or two minutes of an episode that has a nice little arc to it. That's a nice two person, hopefully, you know, kind of dialogue back and forth and self tape and start to like, and, but self tape, make sure you're dressed the right way. Make sure your hair is the right way. Make sure they're bringing life to that character that's super specific. Have matching headshots that are for that type. Make sure you have a slate shot attached to your headshot, attached to you know, your clip. Like these are all the things that you can be building, just a library of stuff. And you can do it on your lovely cell phone. You do not need- unbelievable. You do not need to spend a million bucks. And you absolutely, now more than ever, and I mean, really now more than ever, need a good self-tape set up at home. You need to figure out how to do it, play with the lights, play with the framing, play with your lavalier mic, do all of this now, like work it out now and get some really good clips that are like a minute to a minute and a half long. They don't have to be super long. Don't waste time trying to compile four minute reels. I can guarantee you if we send something in to casting, they are not watching a reel that's four minutes long to hope that the thing that they want to see is that minute three and a half. <laughs> we're going to watch like 10 <laughs> seconds right? or it's 30 either, seconds. Right? Like it's either like we're looking for a kid who's like really goth and angry and emo. Well, if they sit through all these light sitcom things, they're not like praying that it's there at the end. Like they want to see it at the beginning. Right? So which is why clips. So if you get clips kind of by type and genre, dramedy, drama, comedy, and your different types individually because we can click on it and attach exactly what we want to that submission. And again, it's like, it focuses them. This is what they want. You, you have the photo that looks like it. Your slate shot is kind of like the 50% you, 50% whatever vibe you're trying to create. So if you have a serious headshot, don't do like the cheerleader perky slate shot because like chances are we're submitting that for something more serious and we want it all to match, you know? So, but these are all the things now, like this is the time now, like get monologues, you know, I don't love monologues personally, but we are, having to do them. So learn how to do a good monologue and make it feel like a conversation. Do not make it feel like you're standing in a room having a speech to yourself in a mirror, like put that dialogue, missing dialogue in and react. And these are all the things that now is the time to do that. Singing, singers out there, think about what are the five roles you are most right for? What shows are the five shows if you wanted to target five musical theater shows that are current or regionally out. What are they? What is the big song that that character needs to do? And what's a similar song to that song? And 16 bar, 32 bar cuts, tape, like this, like now, like do it all now. So when things resume, you have like so much stuff prepared and it keeps their skills sharp. It makes them feel like they're making progress, that they're doing something. But now is the time, because I can tell you, and I am so on my clients about this, if I get three months from now and somebody tells me they don't have anything to sing for an audition, their book isn't ready, my head is going to like... Yeah, no, no. It's it, off my head. Like, this, this, is, this is the time. Like, this yeah. And, and I have to just, you know, a couple people have taken my monologue th- uh, class and it's like, it's good. You know, it's like, it's a polishing the different skills. I worked with somebody yesterday and she's like, I hate monologues. I hate monologues. And I said, well, let's get out of our comfort zone. You know, I'm getting out of mine too right now. I'm cooking more than I've ever cooked <laughs> um, because, you know, we're cooking and I'm editing different things uh, with my podcast with different types of software and, and 
things I've never done before. I'm cutting and clipping and editing. Let's get out of our comfort zone. So monologues are great. Um, and also um, getting your digital house in order, as Ellen Sacelli said a couple of weeks ago on my podcast, like websites and getting all of that ready. Uh, two last quick things, social media and websites. Um, should people have an Instagram account? Do your clients have an Instagram account? Do they have a website? I'm like a little ambivalent on Instagram with the little ones. Like yeah, you could have it or not, but like definitely let it be a parent run thing. Please be careful because like the creeps are just out there like nonstop. So, you know, keep it curated, keep it like professional. It don't get wrapped up in it though. It's like nobody for like a, a six year old really cares too much, but it's a nice way to have photos or whatever. Um, I do like websites and I am trying to encourage people to do it. Not because I think, people are Googling you and like finding you because of your website, but should you go into an audition or should you meet somebody or should we need to kind of like in an easy way, be like, check out all the material, here it is. Like it's all there. And that's a good place that it is okay to use reels. I feel like, you know what I mean? Like, because then somebody's there for a reason and they have the time and they're actually maybe investigating about you a little more and want to see a little more. So that's a great place to kind of see your personality, have some candids, have some, you know, little behind the scene things. You could have production stills or you could have all the things that I wouldn't necessarily want in your actor's access account, but we can have there. So if somebody was interested in finding more about you, there it all is. It's like a repository. Before we find out how we can keep in touch with you, Karen, and uh, I just, what do you wish you could, if you could go back to your younger, um, when the kids were just starting out, what do you wish you could tell yourself um, that you know now? Because we have a lot of parents with a lot of questions, and this is one of those businesses that, which is one, one of the reasons why I like to do these chats is because I feel like you and I have some credibility. We have careers, we're legitimate. There's so much bad information out there for parents and, and people trying to take their money. Um, so what do you wish you, you could tell your younger self, your younger mom self getting those kids to their auditions? I would say to take the pressure off you and them that this is not, first of all, stardom isn't all it's cracked up to be. So that's just number one. So never be doing it for the fame or for this vision of like stardom. They have, they honestly have to be doing it because they love it. And I will never forget, um, you know, I think it was actually Bob Marks who said something in one of one of the things, which is like, there's a lot easier ways to make money out there. If there's other things you can do, go out and do it, right? Like you have to love it. They have to love it. And it has to come from them. And if there's ever a point where they need to quit, you people looked at me and said, you let your son quit? Like after a Broadway show and after a tour? I said, it, he wasn't passionate about it anymore. Like if he was playing baseball, would I make him play baseball forever just because he was good at it? Like, like you have to... Just monitor your kids, make sure they're doing it because they want to do it. And don't succumb to kind of like the peer pressure of, of the world around you. Just kind of stay in your bubble, stay in your lane, let things happen the way they're meant to happen. And, you know, enjoy the ride. <laughs> you, know? you know, and it can be really fun. I love that, Karen. So um, if people want to find, I know there's gonna be a lot of questions and I don't know if you're, if you are ever, if you're open to new clients, you know, if there's a website we can send people to, if they want to research, you know, a submission yeah. process, I think we can include that in notes um, and just, uh, you know, and just um, let us know uh, where we can find you. That would be great. Sure. Um, by management website is just lampiazitalent.com. There you go. Um, 
And I have a Facebook group kind of focused on parents and kind of we do a lot Which of Which I'm a member of and I post in there even though I'm not a parent. Well, you, can, well, you know, we, we have a select few industry people. I try to keep it relatively like like a uniform tone, if you will, but it's called the Star Parent. So if you kind of Google that within Facebook, you can you can find it. Um, and you know, again, it's a lot about trying to just keep accurate information out there and not kind of go down the rabbit holes of everybody giving wrong. Yes, <laughs> wrong totally. Um, this is so fascinating to me because I briefly worked for um, my own manager when I got graduated college. I was her assistant and then said to her, I think I, I, think I want to go work in casting. I had interned for some casting directors. Then I did spend a year at Innovative Artists and mm -hmm. I was an assistant to Meredith Wechter. And, um, and I just think it's, it's and I, so I, I, I learned so much that year on that end of things. And it's great for me as a casting director to hear what your process is like when we talk to managers. Um, and I, um, I can't thank you enough for your generosity and your wisdom today, mm -hmm. this beautiful afternoon, um, because it's, it's so great to hear the real the real facts, what the you know, what you do, as opposed to what we all think they're supposed to be, or they aren't. Your, and not, you have to book your own hotel. Sorry, not, yeah, exactly. Not <laughs> <laughs> um, and for everybody who, uh, as we start to say goodbye, so we're going to be doing this. We do this every Wednesday at two p.m. I uh, posted on event. I, I posted the, the newest one on my website. You can sign up for next week. Uh, please send me um, notes about what you'd like to talk about. Um, always open to to hearing what you guys want to talk about. Um, do sign up for some classes. It's a little bit of a pause between Passover and Easter, but we are continuing with our animation and monologue and TV story analysis. And um, please stay safe. Have wonderful holidays this weekend. Stay safe and healthy and Happy Passover and Good Friday and Easter and all of that. And Karen, thank you, thank you, thank you once again. Um, and uh, it was great to see you, to yeah. see you. And for everybody else, I will. this will be next week's podcast. And um, continue to stay safe and healthy, everybody. And we, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for the day. Stay safe. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Like everybody Welcome to episode 15 of Confessions of a Casting Director, where you will hear advice, wisdom, and true stories from inside the audition room. I'm your podcast host, Jen Rudin. Today's episode features a live recording from last week's free online parent coaching session, attended by over 150 parents and young actors and their pets from all over the country. I've been hosting these free chats once a week during the pandemic. And if you can't make the session, I always like to post it as a podcast episode the following week. Last week, my guest was talent manager Karen Lampiasi, owner of Lampiasi Talent Management, a boutique management company whose clients are on Broadway and national tours starring in films, networking cable TV shows, national commercials, and writing and recording music. Karen Lampiasi graduated from Vassar College as a music major and worked at Motown Records, Polygram Publishing, and Atlantic Records as an A&R executive, developing new artists and executive producing soundtrack albums, including the gold album for the hit TV show, The Wonder Years. After leaving Atlantic Records, she helped manage recording artists and performers, including multi-platinum recording artist and her sister, Debbie Gibson. Her own children became immersed in the arts and became involved in community theater, music, film, TV commercials, Broadway, and national tours. 
After working as the New York talent scout for an LA-based talent agency, Karen decided to open her own management company, and her focus has been on developing up-and-coming artists and performers whose abilities and interests allow them to be pursuing multiple areas of the entertainment industry simultaneously. If you couldn't Zoom with us last week, enjoy the recap here. Stay healthy and stay safe. Thanks for listening. For more episodes of Confessions of a Casting Director, go to jenrudencasting.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcast fix. And please subscribe, rate, and review and tell your friends about our show. We've got a bunch of fun online classes for young actors in voiceover and animation, TV acting analysis, and monologues at reduced prices during the pandemic. So you can check them out and sign up at jenrudencasting.com slash classes dash coaching. And if you love this show as much as I love doing it, please consider supporting us with a contribution to keep our show going. You can contribute at jenrudencasting.com slash podcast and support us through Patreon or PayPal. Thanks for listening. Thank you.